This episode of Half a Star is sponsored by tea. Not the letter T, the beverage. And that's the tea. The year was 1867. Canada and Britain had just severed their ties as colonial acquaintances, and Canada became its own country. As a result, the two countries have had a frosty yet distant relationship with each other ever since. Until now. Enter James Mullinger, a comedian. Here today on this very special episode of Half a Star, we, we have a, a British comedian who's uh, quite respected here in Canada. We're excited to have James Mullinger here on this episode of Half a Star. We're also going to get to the bottom of what the heck is Cockney rhyming slang. And hey, he's living in St. John, New Brunswick, of all places. Let's find out what else you can do in New Brunswick. You can't go to Crystal Palace anymore. All that and maybe a little bit more on this episode of Half a Star, the Half-Ass Podcast. We believe bad ideas make great stories. He's Justin. He's Ben. Take it away, Rob. I don't listen because it's a podcast. But if you feel that you must, here they are then, Ben and Justin. Together they are half of a star. And thank you to Rob McDonald for the half a star jingle that we have at every episode. Have we come up with a name for that song yet? Not that I'm aware of, but we'll, uh, we'll have to see what the fans say. Now, Justin, James has been kind enough to join us for this show. He obviously lives in St. John of all places now. Yes. But he didn't always. That's true. He lived he in al- London. England. Not London, even London, England. Ontario. He came all the way from London, England. Yeah. You know what else comes from London, England, Justin? Cockney rhyming slang. I knew you were going to say that. Now, you and I have both done the theater school thing, as we've talked about on the podcast before. We are and pretty cool, ladies and gentlemen. We are. We are. And so what's important to realize is that you and I have done extensive dialect work at at our time at theater school. A lot of studying of a language that we already speak. And one of the dialects that we both had to fuss with at our time in theater school was the Cockney accent. But what is interesting about Cockney is that they have their own vocabulary and this thing called rhyming slang. Basically, they say things that rhyme with what they mean to say and that is somehow easier to get across than just saying the word hold on now hold on are you telling me there is a group of people who speak in a dialect code of words that don't mean what they mean that is what i'm saying yes my understanding of it and i don't know if this is a hard and fast rule but usually it's sort of two words meaning one word and those two words have to rhyme with the word they're replacing Like, they'll say, oh, you know, I have to go apples and pears, which means, like, upstairs. So the second word of the pair that you say has to rhyme with what you're trying to say, but the first word needs to logically make sense with the second word. Like, hold on a second, gubna. I gotta make a telly call to my bruise and blister. Which means? My sister. 
Which, oh. incident, incidentally, that is what I call her. I call her my bruise and blister. So, New Brunswick. He's living in St. John, New Brunswick. James of Mullen, all places. Of all places. Yeah. Have you, have you been to New Brunswick, Ben? I have been to New Brunswick. In junior high, junior high school band and choir would go on band trips quite frequently. And Moncton was always a very favorite place of ours to go. And we always would end up uh, at this place called Crystal Palace, which uh, is no longer functioning. So RIP to Crystal Palace. I can see that today's episode is going to bring back a lot of uh, painful memories. How about you? Uh, what, what's your New Brunswick experience? Well, me, I grew up on Prince Edward Island. But up until 2009... On Prince Edward Island, you couldn't get canned pop. You had to go all the way to New Brunswick. So anytime you went to New Brunswick, there was a gas station uh, right near the bridge. There's a little sign beside it that said, last stop for canned pop. And Which is all- a great, it's a great rhyme. It's, it borders on Cockney rhyming slang. That rhyme is so good. Last stop for canned pop. And they also sold fireworks. <laughs> I have very distinct memories throughout my childhood of leaving New Brunswick, going back to PEI, making that stop, and my mom and dad loading big, case, big 12 cans of Pepsi into the back of the car, and we would save half for ourselves, and the other half we'd save for Halloween. Oh, yeah. We were the can pop house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had, the, you had the good shit. But we... we lived in rural PEI where nobody came for (laughs) trick-or-treating so we'd maybe give out like six cans of pop sometimes we would just have too much left and a kid would just be left with a 12 pack of Pepsi in his pillowcase (laughs) look what I got diabetes Was, was the Shaw family a family that would go to Moncton for back-to-school shopping? Yes, we. I have memories of going to American Eagle to buy polo <laughs> shirts. Now that is an early 2000s sentence. Yeah, we oh. were, we were uh, a strong Scottish Presbyterian Pepsi family. <laughs> With popped collars and aviator sunglasses. <laughs> and so our guest for today, ladies and gentlemen, he came all the way from London, England, to embrace all that wonder of New Brunswick. But who is James Mullinger? How do you describe James Mullinger? He's a writer, a comedian, an entrepreneur, and an advocate. He worked at British GQ in London, England. Then he moved to Canada, not just Canada, New Brunswick, St. John, New Brunswick of all places. And he wanted to make a go of being a comedian. One crazy idea deserves another. But then in 2016, he did the unthinkable. He sold out the Harborfront Station Arena. And this came as a surprise only to people who didn't know James Mullinger. He's one of the hardest working entertainers in the Canadian entertainment landscape. He's putting in the work. And because of all of his work, he became the subject of a CBC documentary, City on Fire. He settled in the depths of the St. John River Valley of all places. Here he is. Please welcome to the show, James Mullinger. Thank you very, very much. It's funny, whenever people um, introduce me and say where I live, I I feel like they should change the name of St. John now to St. John of all places, because (laughs) because it's always suffixed with of all places. No one ever just says, and he lives in St. John. It's always, and he lives in St. John of all places. That's the new name. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to start. (laughs) 
how did you end up there? Good question with a, a longish story, which I will try and keep brief. I guess the quick answer is I, I moved here six years ago for uh, quality of life. The, uh, my wife is from this area. So, of course, free childcare uh, <laughs> on tap was definitely an incentive. But essentially, it was born out of the, uh, the idea that we were based in London, the uh, busiest. Mo and again, I mean, if we could have predicted this global pan pandemic, we would have moved even sooner. Sure. The fascinating thing now is that, of course, people in big cities are kind of looking to places like, especially now that everything's being done remotely. So for us, we kind of, uh, we predicted this six years ago. <laughs> we, said, we said to everyone, there's going to be a global. Um, and it was really that thing of going, especially as a comedian, I'm on the road the whole time. Why be based in the busiest, most expensive, most crime-ridden mm. city in the world when you can live in a, in a beautiful uh, place with beautiful views and thanks to recent flooding, waterfront mansions that cost 79 <laughs> cents. And James has touched on a very important note, the, uh, the work he's been doing uh, in the Maritimes, boosting maritime arts and culture as an entertainer, as a, as a writer, as a, an editor for his uh, edit magazine. He's put in a lot of work. He's sold out stadiums. He has worked and engaged with uh, uh, even, even famous or comedians such as Jerry friggin Seinfeld and that's a big deal so we're very happy to have James here on the show today well, to and now we are getting to the piece de resistance or to our anglophone listeners our piece of resistance <laughs> <laughs> and that is the title of our podcast half a star where we believe bad ideas make great stories. We want to know, what is your half-star idea? Strap in. I've got about 50 of them. Oh, boy. <laughs> right. Okay. What, okay, what so... possible stories could a Londoner have where he decided to make his career in New Brunswick, Canada <laughs> exactly. as a comedian working in printed media? Right. <laughs> what, what, what else? What else? What else could... Uh... What else? Could, what could go wrong? I will say this: a lots of the things that have been the, turned out to be the best things I have I could have done came from the worst ideas, and of course, vice versa. So I will tell you some of my um, my terrible ideas that were also uh, turned into terrible things. Um, but going back to your question about moving here and why I moved here, moving here. It did stem from a piece of advice from, from Jerry Seinfeld himself. In, in 2013, I was interviewing Seinfeld in New York. It was a dream come true. Like, I'm a big fan of him, his work, everything. I like his work ethic. I like his, uh, his uh, love of stand-up. And I asked all these questions that I was supposed to ask. And at the end, I asked him a question that I've always w wondered. And it wasn't necessarily something I was going to write about, but I just wanted to know. And I said, why, why is it that you walked away from, from the TV show Seinfeld, your sitcom, when it was at its uh, cultural, commercial, and critical peak. The, the fans wanted more, the network wanted more, you definitely hadn't run out of ideas, the critics wanted, like, why not do one more season? And he looked me in the eye and he said, um, he said, that's simple, James. He said, because that's what everybody expected me to do. And he said, there's a life lesson for you. He said, make a list of all the things in life everybody expects you to do and do the opposite. So six months later, I was on a plane to St. John, New Brunswick. <laughs> right. Now, now and, and, and that's a story that I, I do tell, and it, and it really is steeped in some 
it's steeped in some truth because we did go home and go, what does everybody expect? Everyone expects us. We've got good jobs on paper. We're, we're not happy. We've got good jobs on paper. We've got either a TV show, a, a, a magazine career, all these things. On paper, we had good lives, but we weren't happy. We wanted, we wanted quality of life. Now, the interesting thing about that is that I tell that story often in keynote speeches, you know, about doing the opposite. But the reality is, is that really a good thing to do in life, to go through life doing the opposite of what people expect? Oh, I'm standing on the edge of a cliff. People don't expect me to jump off. I'll jump off. Oh, oh, look, there's a... I don't know. <laughs> so if, if I was going around doing the opposite of what people expected, it would be a terrible... But that said, that piece of kind of odd advice that I did take... Um, did turn into a good thing. I mean, other bad decisions. I mean, I mean, I, I moved. So I move here first. I, I move here and think that I can continue doing my comedy career in New Brunswick. Everyone tells me it's not possible. Every comedian tells me it's not possible, and that's every comedian in Canada, every comedian in, in every Canadian comedian in London, every New Brunswicker tells me it's not possible. Um, and I think, well, I'm just going to treat this like. Uh, anyone else would treat any other business because there isn't a comedy industry here as such. There isn't a, a star system. And in fact, there isn't yeah. really in all of Canada anyway, let alone in New Brunswick. So um, I'm going to treat this like a, like a, uh, the same way a plumber would. Because mm. that was what I found odd was that people <clears throat> said to me, uh, oh, you can't do comedy here. There's no comedy here. And I thought, well, that's weird because you wouldn't say to a plumber, there's no plumbers here. Don't come here. Right. If there's yeah. no plumbers here. And there's a lot of toilets full of shit that need unblocking. So I kind of wanted, I thought, well, why don't I be the toilet unblocker of comedy? So I, I, I which is, I, you can use that quote. I, um, and I basically just came and started doing gigs in any situation I could, whether it be high schools, vineyards, churches, uh, just went out and did work. And the one thing that the Maritimes has on its side is because it's so small, uh, part of the reason we're all so friendly and nice here is because we have to be, because you can't be a dick or everyone hears about it. Um, that's kind of why people don't, you know, I mean, certainly in, in London, you would sit at a dinner table and, and the people would just be slagging off everyone they met that day. You can't do that in, in the Maritimes because you will be sat at the table uh, with the sister of whoever you're slagging off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? And, but, but that kind of creates this kind of incredibly uh, organic and... Um, real work ethic amongst people where it's all word of mouth like you can be a shitty plumber in england and get away with it for years you can flood every house you work on no one's ever gonna know you you, you fuck up one house in the maritimes everyone knows similarly with stand-up i thought well if i can't do gigs and people enjoy them they'll tell people and if, equally if i do bad ones uh, they will tell people so i went out and just basically did as many gigs as i could and built it up word of mouth and and i mean to cut long story short that kind of led to playing theatres the same size I was doing in England and then built it up to playing bigger rooms than I was doing in England. So essentially all of that stemmed from a terrible idea, which was I'm going to continue my comedy career in New Brunswick. Those are some good half-star stories, but I'm willing to bet that there is a true half-star tale. I want to hear your first set. Okay, i tell you what. The story of your first set. I, how about I do my worst, well, one of my many worst sets. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I'll say this. When I saw the, the, the name of your podcast and you told me about the premise of it, I realized I was the perfect guest for this because 
I am one of the rare, I mean, actually, I have a pile of my uh, school reports uh, uh, around it somewhere. At school was kind of a, uh, a unique in that I was kind of a triple bill of failure for my parents in that, like, I wasn't academic, uh, I wasn't athletic, and I wasn't popular. So I, I, I didn't have any friends. G generally, like, if you haven't got any friends, at least you're smart. Or if you're thick as shit, at least you can play, play soccer. No, I, I, I couldn't <laughs> do any of it, right? I, I was just shit at everything, which is why I spent my whole childhood uh, listening to... Uh, comedy tapes and watching comedy videos um, but of course never thought I could could ever do it but one of the worst things I've ever had was I've been doing stand-up for about and it's one of the worst gigs I say one of the worst I fuck millions of terrible gigs this is one of many I did this thing called Jimmy Carr's Comedy Idol Jimmy Carr the British yep. Queen did this thing comedy Idol. Uh, I made the final of that competition and then uh, the final was at the film was filmed for his DVD and it was at the the comedy store in London, like the holy grail of clubs for comedians in the UK. And I did this spot and it and it was it went well. Then I get invited back for a Thursday five minute spot went well. So then Don Ward, the owner of the comedy store, offers me a Saturday night ten minute open spot, right? And this is the holy grail. So you do that well, well you might get a second one a few months later, but then you might get booked for a weekend and then you know you're plain sailing and you can give up your day job. So anyway, I say to my um, th then girlfriend, now wife, I'm like, it's a Saturday night, it's the store, it's my first 10 minute spot there. Like, you haven't seen me perform in seven months and you've barely seen me full stop in five months. Like, why don't you come and see me in my moment of glory, right? <laughs> you can see where this is going. <laughs> so, so she comes and um, there's 400 people packed in Saturday night, the coach show kicks off and the opening act does amazing. I'm introduced and I walk out and uh, for whatever reason like I mean I mean the, it's the weird thing with stand-up of course is like I mean I'd had plenty of good gigs prior to this but just the combination of nerves and not being able to shake off the importance of this to me I run out there uh, kind of trying to mask my inexperience with over-the-top enthusiasm which audiences can smell a mile off like they can they can, they can smell inexperience like mm, right. shit on a toothbrush and and so there I am like like, and I come out and instantaneous hatred. Like it's not, I'm like, I'm like, and I, I mean, understandably, I was probably like, hey, like that guy, <laughs> awful, like, like open spot uh, attempts to, like, trying to, and nothing. Seven minutes into my, about five minutes in, people, obviously the chatter starts. About seven minutes in, the whole room is chanting you unfunny c word at me and i, I say c word just because yeah you know, in yeah. a bit more sensitive to that word than in england in england it's the term <laughs> of endearment uh you know we, we cup of tea oh, yeah um, uh, but here is so 400 people are shouting you unfunny c word at me and and just deafening and it's just a weird thing when you're up there again as a, you know bands talk about being booed off but you go but as a band there's five of you going oh well that sucks you know, right. 400 people hate us. Whereas when you're up there, uh, or they hate our songs, when you're up there doing a stand-up, it's like, oh, 400 people hate me. <laughs> everything about me, everything about me prompted 400 people to, 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 to destroy, and they've, just, they've spent 25, they've invested in this. This is an open yeah. mic. They've spent 25 pounds to get in there. Wow. So I come off stage, I'm walking through the dressing room, and it's tiny. I mean, like, I don't know how, I mean, it's COVID-19 restrictions are not going to allow that dressing room to still, still be a thing. And as I'm walking through, people are backing away from me. Like my unfunniness might be c contagious. Um, oh. And uh, anyway, I walk out 
I see my then girlfriend sat and I said, look, we should, we should go. And, I, and at this point, the MC is back on taking the piss out of me, like doing impressions of my shit stand-up. Wars of laughter, right? Which again, I don't blame him for. Right thing to do. He's the MC. Uh, some would say that was disloyal. I say, I had the audacity to walk into their workspace and think that I could do the job that they do. And I fucked it up. And he had to get the audience back on side mm. uh, for the next act. Which, interestingly, the next act was actually um, Ottawa-born, uh, based in England comic, Sean Collins. Um, mm. He's now, wicked. He is amazing. So I go up to my then girlfriend and said, we should go. I'm listening to everyone laugh at my abuse. And my wife goes, my then girlfriend, now wife goes, yeah, yeah, we should. But um, can you leave first? Because I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So there I am in the, in, in the comedy store, um, having just blown what I felt at the time, as we always do in these situations, was the biggest moment of my career, just completely blown. And, I, and not only have I blown it, so I'm hating myself because of that, I've got a whole room of people that hate me. I'm genuinely feeling like there could be an element. I mean, this is the thing with English comedy clubs. I mean, there's the genuine feeling of that there could be violence. Mm. So I'm, I'm leaving terrified. And meanwhile, my, my, my governor doesn't want to be seen with me. Now, what was interesting, so that was a terrible decision I made uh, to, to, to bring it back to that. What is interesting, though, is you ne- that was that 2009. You never forget those, you never forget those moments. I mean, I mean, and again, I mean, I'm someone already who wakes up in the middle of the night and gets reminded with f- that 448 psychosis when this right. voice just wakes you up and goes, oh, Malinger, remember when you did that really dickish thing and everybody <laughs> hates you? Remember that? Remember that? Like, like I have that. I have that anyway. Um, so with this, I, I never, never truly got over it. In the, but what was interesting was I then see, as I'm leaving, uh, amazing Canadian comedian, Sean Collins, walks on stage and just owns the stage. Now, I'd run out, bounded out, all full of energy, trying to master this experience. He just comes out, he's introduced, and he just pulls the stool over very calmly, sits down, takes a look at his bottle of Stella, looks at the crowd, and they just, on tenterhooks, and, and he probably said something like, and it was something online to be looked at the bottle of Stella Artois, which here is considered classy in England. It's called wife beater because, because it <laughs> makes it British men go mental. Um, and he looks at the Stella and has a sip and, and, uh, and, 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 and he's like, you know, what's, he says something like, what's the deal with you guys in the Stella? Now, again, I mean, it is a, it is a funny observation. It, it's, um, and of course, I mean, I guess you could argue that was the precise moment when I thought, wow, this whole moving to a different country and noticing things is really good for a comedian's <laughs> career. <laughs> what, what kind of a charlatan would leave their home country, move to another country and go, what's the deal with you guys and a insert homemade wine or Stella here? Wait, uh, did we trade, did we trade Sean Collins for James Mullins? Yeah, that, that's basically that- what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. But, but I always used to think it when I would watch, um, uh, when I would watch uh, any American or Canadian comedian in England kind of noticing stuff. And again, I mean, I didn't, it obviously wasn't why moved to it, but subconsciously, I think I was thinking, my God, that must be great being a fish out of water. Mm. And it's funny because now, one of the things when I read people slagging me off online, it's generally like, well, again, I mean, generally, it, generally, um, newish comedians or whatever, they'll be saying, well, he just, he just notices stuff. All he does is, all he does is notice stuff. Well, it's like, well, A, that's all comedy is anyway. But B, yes, there is this weird thing about being a fish out of water in a yeah. place, which is, of course, comedy gold. In the, you know, they always say in stand-up, you need this, you need your hook and you need your... Now, in England, I walk on stage, 
what's the hook? I mean, again, I, I'm another white male middle class comedian banging on about his wife and kids. I, this, this this walks on stage. No one is sat there thinking, yeah, oh, this guy's going to have interesting things to say. I wonder what I wonder what his stance on the world is. Oh, your wife's a bit of a nag, and you've been drinking too much, have you? And you're a bit of a yeah, right. You get, you've got no hook, no angle, and yet suddenly here to be able to walk on stage within 10 seconds they know what my hook is it's yeah. like oh oh he's a slightly confused englishman now live now trying to navigate life in the maritimes um but what's interesting is i never recovered from that that moment of, but it was a blending of seeing sean just own that stage um then interestingly so that was uh yeah 12 years ago and then in january this year i was uh, I'm, i was booked to headline ottawa yuck yucks and I get there, and I'd seen the week before that actually Sean Collins was performing, and I thought, well, that's interesting. That, that, that's a strange coincidence. And obviously he was there visiting. Now I get there, and I look, and the MC for my weekend is Sean Collins. And he basically just, obviously he doesn't normally MC, he's a headliner, but, he'd, um, but he had, uh, wanted, you know, he was staying in for another week, so he said, yeah, I'll come back. That's what comics do, right? We do whatever, yeah, we just like performing. But I suddenly was overcome with these, the nerves of just sheer fear, because I thought, oh my God, if I die on my ass this now, <laughs> and, uh. and Sean goes back to England and 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 like fucking hell, that Mullinger, do you remember how shit he was twelve years ago? Yeah, hasn't changed. He's still just as bad. He hasn't improved at all. <laughs> he's um, just got he's got this like old boy kind of drawl to him. He just he yeah. just uh, can talk he, real he, slow and just he like, owns it. And I would honestly say like like like. Before, so before we did five shows that weekend, before the first one, the nerves that I felt were unlike anything I'd felt in years. Um, just because essentially it kind of took, I, I pretty much haven't seen him since back then. So it took me back to being there. And that's the thing. I mean, ultimately, a lot of the time, those kind of nerves do kick in all the time for all of us. Like, you know, the minutes before walking on stage there's always that kind of brief moment of oh my god you know and of course you walk out and, and you click into gear but those nerves but anyway luckily it was a good gig and um then that night we did two that first night afterwards we were, we were drinking in the hotel bar and um, i kind of told him this story now of course the funny thing is as you know we you know like i it, 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 that story is something that i've thought about a lot Whereas he had, he doesn't even remember it. I mean, it's right. just, just uh. oh, a, a, a shit, a shitty open spot comedian dies on their ass, <laughs> like you know, he sees that you know all the time. So it was kind of fascinating that this thing that had been plaguing me, and and, and again, me thinking that he probably thought I was shit, but of course he had no idea. It's, it's interesting. I've got to say, we're early days in this podcast, and that might be. Both of those half-star stories you told us might be the most inspirational things we've heard on this entire thing. James, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, just before we let you go, um, we've been talking a lot about British culture on the show today. And we were wondering, you know, you grew up in London. Do you have any preferred, like your favorite instance of Cockney rhyming slang? Uh, I was saying earlier in the episode that my favorite rhyming slang is got a Hey, governor, gotta call up my bruise and blister, which, as we all know, means call my sister. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, what would you say is your favorite? Because, like, I really appreciate the fact that, like, if, if, you're, if you're walking around London, you can hear all these different dialects, but Cockney seems to be this, like, really 
um, identifiable one as, as, as you're walking around downtown and that kind of thing. Is that something you've experienced as well? It's intimate and authentic. And I think uh, from living in the Maritimes as Ben, myself, and, and, and you, have, James, uh, I think uh, you can find instances where you're like, hey, Cockney rhyming slang, that's actually not too weird when you think of language in yeah. general. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I guess we're just curious to get your thoughts on that. Give a rhyming slang, James. Are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> did he hang up? How long ago did he hang up on us? <sighs> well, I guess I better call my bruise and blister. Well, folks, that's another episode of Half a Star in the Can. He's Justin. He's Ben. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. Take care and wash your hands.